The presenting sponsor of Top Docs is Netflix. From director Laura McGann, The Deepest Breath captures the gripping mix of destiny and danger at the heart of two athletes' undeniable bond. It offers a never-before-seen glimpse into one of the most dangerous sports on the planet. The Daily Beast calls the documentary heart-stopping, expansive, and intimate. Watch The Deepest Breath, now on Netflix. Welcome to Top Docs. I'm Mike Merrill. On our pod today, Ken and I talk about the upcoming Emmys with Scott Feinberg. Scott is executive editor of awards for The Hollywood Reporter, and he has led their awards coverage since 2011. As you'll hear, he really knows awards and shares with us his insights on how the academies make their decisions when it comes to who gets nominated and who wins. This year's awards were pushed back from their originally planned date in September due to the writers and actors' strikes. They will now be held on January 15th, 2024. We taped the show back in early November, and as you'll hear, the writer's strike was already over, but the actor's strike was still on the precipice of being resolved. As Scott notes, however, all the Emmy voting was long in the past. It had already happened back in August, so events that have happened since cannot have affected who actually won. As always, if you like our conversation with Scott, please follow the show. And you can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at TopDocsPod. And finally, you should check out Scott's podcast, Awards Chatter. Recent guests include Alexander Payne talking about the holdovers and Emily Blunt discussing Oppenheimer. Okay, now our conversation with Scott Feinberg of The Hollywood Reporter, in which we break down the 75th annual Primetime Emmy Awards for documentaries. Scott Feinberg, welcome back to Top Docs. Thank you. Good to be with you guys. Hey, Scott. Good to see you again. Scott, we're here to talk Emmys, and this is going to be the 75th Primetime Emmy Awards. What's unusual is that it hasn't already happened yet because it's been pushed to January 15th, 2024, right? That's exactly right. This is one of the many pieces of collateral damage of the at one point, two strikes, now just one strike, hopefully within a matter of hours, perhaps no strikes. But, you know, if the actors would not have been able to participate in the Emmy ceremony, it wouldn't have been much of an Emmy ceremony for television viewers. And there's the, the kind of hope and assumption that by January, things will be back to normal. Well, we're proceeding as if this strike will be resolved and there will be a show on January 15th, which means there will yes. be a bunch of documentary awards given out along with all the other categories. One thing that was different last year is that the so-called double dipping option was taken off the table last year, but it seems to be back on the table for this year. Can you explain briefly what this is all about? Yeah. I mean, there's been years of the academies, both the film and television academies, trying to figure out how to avoid redundancy when it comes to nonfiction filmmaking. What's often happened is that you'll have something like OJ Made in America, which wins an Oscar and then wins a bunch of enemies or vice versa. And it's confusing to people, you know, why would that be permissible when something theoretically should either be a film documentary or a TV documentary? But as those lines have blurred, 
And as financing comes from sometimes from TV for a token theatrical release, and then it's really primarily going to be seen on TV, there's just a lot of gray area. But I think that there was a bit of a backlash in the way they tried to deal with this in the past, which was last year, which, as I recall, was basically saying, if you've been nominated for an Oscar as a documentary, you are not eligible for the Emmy. But if you were not nominated, then you still are, which didn't make a lot of sense to me either, because... It's basically saying if you were good enough for the Film Academy, we don't want to consider you for the, the TV Academy. But if you weren't good enough for the Film Academy, then we'll consider you eligible. That didn't make a lot of sense. So we are now back, as I understand it, to a free-for-all where something like, just to give one example, the most nominated nonfiction film that is eligible, that's up for the Emmys is, is still a Michael J. Fox story. That is also receiving an Oscar campaign right now. So I think we're going to have a bunch of those examples again this season. So we will have to wait and see what happens with films like Still that are Oscar eligible as well as nominated for an Emmy. And maybe that's a good transition. Do you want to give us your quick Oscar buzz for this year? It's a little bit different than our show last year. Last year, Venice, Telluride, and TIFF had not happened, but... Of course, now those are in the rearview mirror, so there may be a clearer picture for this year's Oscars. What do you have in yeah. mind for the shortlist this year? We actually just did something that I've been doing now for 10 years at the Savannah Film Festival, which is gathering 10 documentary feature filmmakers who we think are in the middle of the race and bring them there for a panel with that's then on the Hollywood Reporter website. So just posted that. And the 10 this year, I think one thing is that there is not a runaway front runner in the way that there have been in certain years. But I would say there is a front runner in Netflix's American Symphony. It's a movie that was at the fall film festivals, was acquired by Netflix for a lot of money from Matt Heineman, who's been nominated for an Oscar and Emmy before. Cartel Land was the one that got nominated, but he's done a bunch of great stuff. This one looks at the musician John Batiste and his wife, who are going through both for John a triumphant time in his career and for his wife a very difficult time with her health. Just a very well done, widely appealing, moving documentary that also counts the Obamas and their production company Higher Ground as executive producers. And, you know, I think that is perhaps the slight favorite, but there are a lot of very strong docs this year. You've got Kokomo City, a film by a trans filmmaker in black and white. It's been very widely acclaimed. You've got, as mentioned a moment ago, the Michael J. Fox documentary on Apple from Davis Guggenheim, who won the Oscar for An Inconvenient Truth with Al Gore. You also have from Apple an Errol Morris documentary, Pigeon Tunnel, the profile of the late John LeCarré, and on and on. Netflix also has the deepest breath and stamp from the beginning. You have from Amazon, Silver Dollar Road, Raul Peck, who had been nominated for I Am Not Your Negro, and we could go on. It's probably a bit early to, to single out or to identify five that are ahead of the game, but I would be very surprised if American Symphony is not in there till the end and Probably another one that I think is really strong, Beyond Utopia, which is this filmmaker Madeline Gavin's look at a priest who, who helps 
people escape from North Korea, or at least try to. It's a very harrowing journey they have to take to try to get out of there. And it's just some incredible footage. So those are a few of the ones that I think are worth keeping an eye on. And we have interviewed some of those directors, including Davis Guggenheim and Errol Morris. And Laura Bagan of The Deepest Breath. And some to come. Okay, so here's the part of our program where you take 45 seconds, if possible, that's your challenge, to explain who gets to vote on the Emmy nominees in the dot categories. Is it the full Television Academy or who is it that gets to vote? And who will get to vote on the winners? So the nominees for each section, except the program categories, which everyone gets uh, weigh in on, the, the other areas are determined by the peer groups that are related to those categories. For performance categories, unsurprisingly, the performers peer group are the people whose opinions are consulted in the nomination process. Nonfiction peer group, similar thing for determining these documentary nonfiction categories that we're going to talk about. And so then, though, when you get to the next round of voting, it is again broken down that way. But it's a bit different than the Film Academy, where in the film with the Film Academy, everyone gets to vote after the nominations for everything. That is not what happens at the Emmys because it's actually just overwhelming the number of categories that they have and that a guy who's a costume designer really has no basis for determining the, you know, single camera cinematography. Like they just have so many categories to recognize the wide array of TV that's out there. So it's a little bit different between the two film academies, but the bottom line is that nominations at least are, which is what we're going to, which is what has led us to what we can talk about today are the peer group that relates to that category. And we should know that even though the Emmys are not happening until January, the voting window for both nominate to determine the nominations and to determine the winners still took place on its normal schedule. So the results have been in for months. It's not something that anything that's, you know, let's say Michael J. Fox did something terrible that would turn people off as hard as that is to imagine. If he did it, you know, in the last month or two, it has no bearing on the outcome of the Emmys because that's been locked in place for quite a while. Wow, I had no idea. So yeah, let's hope that they are keeping those envelopes under careful guard because that's a long time to keep it secret. Exactly. All right, so I think we wanna jump into our first category, which is yet another difference between the Emmys and the Oscars and that it's a juried category, which is the exceptional merit in documentary filmmaking category. So for exceptional merit in documentary filmmaking, the Q's damned or devoted. And I spoke with Muhammad Mo Ali Nakvi about his film, which tracks the rise of blasphemy laws in Pakistan and uses a non-Western view to explore the lives of those accused. Aftershock. This examines America's abysmal maternal mortality rates among Black and Brown women through the lens of several heartbreaking stories of those left behind as they grapple with fresh grief and fight for a solution. Last Flight Home. Ken spoke to Andy Timoner about her heartbreaking personal documentary that follows her beloved father, Eli Timoner, in his final days after he makes the decision to end his own life due to his rapidly deteriorating physical condition. This is, again, a juried category, meaning it's not 
a large number of people who are picking the winners, or at least we're picking the nominees. And it's generally used to celebrate works that have some social value, social impact. For instance, Aftershock, which is on Hulu, is a look at preventable deaths during childbirth. I guess you could say it's not light stuff. And then you got Last Play at Home, which is about a the filmmaker's father electing to end his life as uh, a very old man who's just had enough. Each nominee here, there's gravitas to them. Again, this is one of the very hardest categories to predict because it's the things that you would normally take into consideration, like how many other nominations does it have? What platform is it on? Because, oh, you know, voters tend to watch a certain platform in larger numbers. That's all negated right out of the gate by the fact that the nominees are just even chosen differently. I would not predict anything in this category with great confidence, but I will say that the one of these that was also an Oscar contender, at least, didn't end up getting nominated, but it was very much in the mix, was Last Flight Home. And that's now been eligible on from TV on Paramount+. Plus. It had been an MTV Films release. It got a lot of promotion at that time. It's a very moving, sad, but sort of uplifting also story that I just have a feeling that that would be the most widely appealing of these. But again, this is to some degree a crapshoot. Yeah. And both Last Flight Home and Aftershock premiered at Sundance last year. And Aftershock, I know, won an award there. But I would say in terms of Andy Timoner, she's a two-time Sundance Grand Prize winner. And maybe this is her time to shine in the Emmys. Yeah. It's interesting as you you know, two-time Sundance winner, but zero-time Oscar nominee, as I recall, which is hard to reconcile, but she's also a very well-liked person in the documentary community. And to be honest, a savvy campaigner. She does a lot of kind of grassroots screenings, flat-handing, all of that. It hasn't necessarily tipped the scales in the Oscar voting before, but in a very close contest decided by a relatively small number of people, it, it might here make a difference. I would note that last year when Claude got shot to comb this prize, and that was a PBS documentary, and so is The Accused. So maybe that's your underdog. You All right. How about our next category? Outstanding documentary or nonfiction special, Being Mary Tyler Moore. Ken spoke with James Adolphus about his definitive biography of one of America's favorite TV characters and actresses, Mary Tyler Moore. Judy Bloom Forever. Davina Pardo and Leah Wolchuk joined me to talk about their film charting the life and career of the groundbreaking children's author. My Transparent Life. This film explores the lives of two transgender people through their transitions and tries to answer the question, is being trans a choice or are trans people really born in the wrong body? Pamela, a love story. Ryan White's funny and intimate portrait of Pamela Anderson. Ken spoke with director Ryan White on the pod. Still a Michael J. Fox movie. Both of us spoke with Davis Guggenheim regarding his mixed verite and film clip biography of actor and funny man Michael J. Fox as he struggles to come to grips with Parkinson's. Let's just first note that this is the category in which showbiz figures being chronicled in documentary form have done. Those projects have been rewarded just last year was the George Carlin's American Dream. 
That was Judd Apatow, as had been a few years earlier. Another Judd Apatow project, The Zen Diaries of Gary Shandling. You'd had Leaving Neverland, which dealt with Michael Jackson. This is, for whatever reason, seems to be a place where that is sometimes rewarded. Not always. There's also been just social issue documentaries as well. Now, for example, 13th, the Ava DuVernay documentary won this category. And I bring that up because this year, the documentary nonfiction project that has received more Emmy nominations than any since 13th, by my calculations, is the Michael J. Fox movie still. So ticks both boxes, social issue documentary to some degree in the sense that it does deal with his Parkinson's battle, but not in a, it's very deliberately, as I'm sure Davis Guggenheim spoke about with you guys, it's not a heavy handed look at all. There's a lot of humor and all of that in it, but it also is that showbiz personality thing. Now, on the other hand, there's also several other showbiz personalities projects here. You've got Pamela Anderson with Pamela Love Story. You've got Being Mary Tyler Moore. You've got Judy Bloom forever. So I guess there's a scenario where somehow those cancel each other out and perhaps you have My Transparent Life, which is the other nominee, which was also Amazon Prime, sort of deals with a non-showbiz centric subject matter, socially important, all of that. But it would be very hard to imagine a documentary project getting as many nominations as still and then losing in this category. I think it would be very surprising. And I think that's sort of recognized even by the competition. A lot of these guys just on background have conveyed to me that for them, the win was getting nominated and they recognize that it's probably the end of the road for them. One thing that I've noticed with the Oscars is when you look at the matchups, it does seem like occasionally you can see two films that maybe are about a somewhat similar topic or in some way may cancel each other out in terms of the voting. And yep. I'm wondering if there are any two in this category that might cancel each other out. And I'm specifically thinking about Pamela and, and Mary Tyler Moore. I don't know. They're very different people, but I'm just looking at that and wondering. Yeah, it's certainly possible. I think already in the nominations process, Pamela was in some ways up against another movie about a famous, beautiful, sexy showbiz personality, Brooke Shields, had a documentary that was thought to be in the mix as well and got boxed out by the Pamela one, which Pamela had the advantage probably of being Netflix. That may have made a difference. These are all on relatively prominent streamers, so I don't know that any of that's going to matter. I think really another thing which is going to come into play is that sometimes people vote in not the most conscientious way. They maybe haven't seen all of the nominees, but they have seen one or two, or they haven't even seen any of them, but they vote because of what they've heard or what they see somebody associated with the project in the title. And so it's not a coincidence that the title of Still, I, I would say, is not just Still, but it's still a Michael J. Fox movie. Having Michael J. Fox's name in the title will certainly tip a few people towards it. And there are others that in this category where, you know, they keep the name in there. 
Speaking of knocking out, we don't think that uh, it's possible that in, in Pamela and still we're going to have like a battle of the nice Canadians. That's not going <laughs> to. I'm not sure people are looking at it that on such a granular uh, okay. level, but it's we'll see. I will call out that last year you picked George Carlin's American Dream as the winner. And indeed it was. So it sounds like you're going with still this year. Is that correct? That is correct. Outstanding documentary or nonfiction series. Dear Mama, I spoke with director Alan Hughes about his exploration of the legacy of Afeni Shakur, Tupac's mother, the Black Panther activist, her legacy on the life and the music of her son. 100 Foot Wave. Season two of the thrilling big wave surfing doc and intimate character study follows surfer Garrett McNamara and others as they compete around the world. And Ken spoke with executive producer Joe Lewis and subject Nicole McNamara. Secrets of the Elephants. This four-part series from National Geographic explores the rich emotional lives of elephants and the incredibly impressive ways they have of, of adapting to the world under the most difficult of circumstances. Ken spoke with executive producer Lucinda Axelson, The 1619 Project. I spoke with executive producer and showrunner Shoshana Guy about this series based on the reporting of Nicole Hannah-Jones as it tracks the ways that African-Americans have deeply influenced many important facets of America, including music, democracy, and health. The U.S. and the Holocaust. This series from Ken Burns, Sarah Bostein, and Lynn Novick shows the ways U.S. did, and more notably, did not respond effectively to the Holocaust. And I did speak with Ken and Lynn on the pod. So we're looking here at a category in which nature slash environmental slash animal, you know, kind of outdoorsy projects have always done quite well, whether it's planet Earth to our planet, those kinds of projects, but also increasingly just the most viral sensations, making a murder, the last dance, wild country, stuff that everybody just watched, particularly since the pandemic as docuseries have, have taken off. Now, last year was a bit of an interesting scenario because actually the last couple of years you had a little bit of both of those, you know, sort of back and forth of those two types of projects. You had Secrets of the Whales two years ago, and then last year you had the Beatles get back. So again, it seems to me that you can't count out that sort of environment animal type of project, which this year would bode well for Secrets of the Elephants on Nat Geo. But I think that you also have to know that in terms of social importance, and by the way, also 100 Foot Wave, which is the sequel to a nominee last year of the same name. But that did not win for season one, 100 Foot Wave. I don't think it's going to win then for season two, which is shorter and less acclaimed. So let's take off the board 100 Foot Wave. That leaves us with the U.S. and the Holocaust from PBS, Ken Burns, who is a TV Academy favorite. And certainly this subject matter, everybody was aware of it. Many people watched it. I think you have to take that one very seriously. Same with the 1619 Project. Everybody, again, was aware of it. Many people watched it. It did not get many nominations overall, which is one kind of strike against it. It suggests that it maybe wasn't widely beloved or whatever, but that one does have Oprah Winfrey among the people behind it. And then we have Dear Mama, which was the one about Tupac and his mother. And I think that the thing to note there is that the Defiant Ones from the same makers had been 
nominated just a few years ago, I believe in the same category, didn't win, but there's certainly an audience for that. My hunch is that this is probably for the U.S. and the Holocaust, or if not that, then I would say Secrets of the Elephants. So between those two, if I had a gun to my head, it's a really tough call. I would guess so with Secrets of the Elephants. It is the kind of beautifully made high-end project that, again, has been recognized quite a lot in this category. Nat Geo is doing a big push for it, or did a big push, I should say. They had James Cameron involved with it. So my hunch is that that's slightly out front. We should have a caveat here that Ken and I were consulting producers on the 100 Foot Wave podcast for this season. But despite that, my favorite, I think here, and I think I said all these, was Dear Mama, which I thought was just fascinating, well done. But I can see what you're saying. I was wondering if maybe that could be your dark horse pick, Scott. I would love it, but I don't feel tremendously confident. Again, if you look at just the overall nomination landscape, I don't have it in front of me, but I don't think it got too many other nominations, Dear Mama, which is not a rock solid indicator, but it's a decent one if it's not showing up, you know, somewhere for directing or writing or cinematography or other things. It's not a great sign. But I will say that these are all, you know, it's a pretty strong lineup and I don't think anyone could gripe too much for if any of them were to win. But I think that it's hard to ignore this pattern in a sense of using this category to recognize very ambitious, long gestating projects like Secrets of the Elephants. Now, just to come back for one second to the to Dear Mama, the Tupac murder case has recently been... Yeah. It appears solved, but again, that happened after voting ended. So whether it would have any bearing on that one way or the other, if voting had been open, it wasn't. So I just want to make people remind them of that. In that interview, Alan Hughes did, in fact, point to that particular person and said it was not an East Coast, West Coast thing. It was something that happened in the casino, which I had not heard before. So I thought it was really depressing on his part. Absolutely. So Dear Mama is from FX, and you know FX is certainly not a documentary brand name in the same way that HBO has been for decades and Netflix has become, and even Prime Video and Nat Geo. So I'm just curious if you think, to what extent does the broadcaster or the streamer have an impact on the winner? It's a great question. I don't know the answer to. I mean, the thing is like, PBS is is not generally like a a ratings powerhouse, and yet PBS is so closely associated with great documentary content. I think that they punch above their weight in that category sometimes. And I do think that when they do a a big event docuseries like the U.S. and the Holocaust, people are aware of it and they do tune in, especially when it's in association with Ken Burns, which this was. He's also a master at promoting his stuff, which he did do at the time before voting closed. And he has won. He's won a number of times. Year, It's been a few years. And to be honest, I think he's not been nominated a bunch of times when he probably should have been. But as recently as 2010, he won this category for the national parks. And prior to that, I know he had won before. But yeah, the thing is, the only thing that's changed is that There are a lot more people doing great docuseries than there were even just 13 years ago when he last won. It's gotten to be a more crowded field. 
And to some degree, there's a generation of nonfiction people who I think look at his types of docuseries as a bit old fashioned. They're not doing anything especially edgy stylistically. And, and that could work against him when he's up against some of these splashier types of projects. But it's not like his work has fallen off. It's just that other people have joined the party, I think. He is a great interview, just incredibly articulate about what he does and why he does it. Absolutely. It's one of my favorites in terms of just even the interviews that I've had on my podcast. The guy is just as smart as anybody and his films are amazing. I, I don't think they age at all. But again, there is fairly or not a sense that they are a bit old fashioned, but I don't know if that should really matter if the content is just so great. Does the Television Academy skew younger than the Academy Award branch or not? I don't have specific figures, but I got to tell you, given everything that I've ever seen in dealing with them, they are a much larger organization and it's much easier to become a member than it is with the Film Academy. So I'm quite confident that they are younger. With the Film Academy for so many years, they didn't really admit a lot of new people. They were primarily admitting white men of a certain age. Nowadays, you know, the last decade or so, they've made a very concerted effort to change that. But I think it's going to take many more years for those numbers to really make a dent in their overall percentages. Whereas the TV Academy, it's like there's just so many more people and so many more being added each year. There's no way that, that it's not a considerably younger group. And that occurs to me in thinking about Ken Burns in this category. I wonder if that exactly. could be a bit of a handicap. And I also know that the Motion Picture Academy has made a concerted effort to become more international. And so the voting has reflected yes. that in the last couple of years, at least in the doc category. Has the Television Academy made a similar push? So again, they're not as transparent about their demographics, but I think in that sense, the TV Academy may actually not be as inclusive as the Film Academy because there are separate Emmys, you know, the international Emmys, which recognize work from outside the U.S. I can't tell you exactly a breakdown for you who's voting for that, but I, I do believe that there, there's a different voting pool. I don't think that the TV Academy is as inclusive of international people. And I also, you know, they have made some strides to reflect, like, for instance, Squid Game, because it was so popular, Netflix entered it for the primetime Emmys that we're talking about. Primetime and creative arts are the ones that happen in usually in September this year in January, as opposed to the international. But Netflix still put forward for the primetime and creative arts Squid Game and did very well with those. So I think that there's an openness to, to international stuff within the primetime TV Academy voting body, but I don't think it's nearly as international as the Film Academy. All right. Well, we have one category to go, which is directing, and we have some new nominees in this category, as well as some folks we've already talked about. Outstanding director for a documentary nonfiction program. Judy Bloom Forever, directed by Davina Pardo and Leah Walchuk. I spoke with Davina and Leah about their film charting the life and career of the groundbreaking children's author. Moon Age Daydream, directed by Brett Morgan. We both spoke with Brett about his cinematic tour de force biography of the enigmatic, iconic rock star, David Bowie. Pretty Baby, Brooke Shields, 
directed by Lana Wilson, about her series that shows how Brooks Shields' career mirrored and shaped the discourse around women and sexuality. Still, a Michael J. Fox movie directed by Davis Guggenheim, which we mentioned above, The Territory, directed by Alex Prince, sensitive and multi-layered portrait of a young indigenous leader and his community as he fights against farmers, colonizers, and settlers who encroach on a protected area of the Amazon rainforest. Ken spoke with Alex on the pod and the U.S. and the Holocaust, directed by Ken Burns, Lynn Novick, and Sarah Botstein. Yeah, I mean, that's a pretty formidable group. And I think, again, it's often a coattail category for what happens in the other ones that we've, the categories that we've already addressed. So I think that almost by default, you have to think that Davis Guggenheim has a very strong shot there for still a Michael J. Fox movie. But when you're up against Ken Burns, you never want to say no way. That could certainly be a place where the name recognition helps. Brett Morgan's a terrific doc filmmaker. I don't know that, you know, as we saw, there's sort of an absence of Moon Age Daydream in other categories. Same with Lana Wilson for Pretty Baby. You're not seeing it show up a lot of other places. Same with the territory. You know, I'd be surprised if those are really big factors. And actually, same with Judy Bloom Forever. I, I'd feel pretty confident about Davis Guggenheim for still. Wouldn't be totally shocked if it was Kevin Burns and et cetera for U.S. and the Holocaust. But if you're going to Vegas, I think you got to go with the project that has by far the most overall nominations. That is a pretty strong indicator of depth of support for the project itself. Yeah, just one note here. Moon Age, Daydream, and The Territory both went pretty far in the Oscar race, too, which is interesting. Yeah. Brett's been nominated. Brett's certainly known in the documentary community. Not everyone's cup of tea. He could be a little polarizing for some people. I get a kick out of him, and, yeah. and he certainly does great work, but... I don't know that will necessarily, I don't know if, who knows what happens there. But, you know, Davis is a very amiable guy who's been in this mix before. And so for Boys State, just two years ago, he won as an executive producer when Boys State won Best Documentary or Nonfiction Special. But here's a guy, he, he was nominated for that. He was nominated in the category that we're talking about right now, directing for a nonfiction program a few years before that for Hinami Malala. And this year, the two nominations, one for as a producer and one as a director of Still, I think it's going to be tough for anyone to beat him. It's interesting. I mean, the territory came out at Sundance 2022. That's a long time ago. Three of these premiered at Sundance 2023, a whole year later, including Still. And I just wonder, you know, if that's a real handicap for a film to just be a whole year behind, as it were. It's an interesting question. Certainly in the Oscar race, it had long been thought to be a disadvantage to have come out in the first half of the year. And then the last two winners, Everything Everywhere All at Once and Coda for Best Picture, both did come out of the first half of the year. With the Oscars, that might have something to do with the fact that they are chosen Best Picture on a preferential ballot. So it kind of negates, in the old days, it's just you pick one of the nominees, that's your pick. That gets your vote. But these days for, for the Oscar for Best Picture, you're kind of asked to rank all of them, which means that all of them are being considered. So I, I just think that the TV Academy not having that probably makes it does make it harder for something from early in the year or whatever to do as well as it can do now at the Oscars. But I'd have to look a little closer to see what the actual history of that has been 
at the Emmys. I mean, there's just so many categories with the Emmys. It's hard to make a blanket statement about any of these. You had mentioned that the voting's already closed. And I'm thinking in terms of, you know, let's just say still wins in this category, Davis Guggenheim wins. The voting for the Oscar shortlist, these winners will not have been announced until January 15th, by which time the Oscar shortlist is already out. So being a winner here has no impact on your Oscar chances, correct? Well, at least no impact on your nomination chances. So the shortlist will be announced December 21st. The nomination voting ends January 16th. The nominations come out January 23rd. We're talking about for the Oscars. So I guess theoretically still, let's say, could, if it's nominated, have a nice talking point. Hey, it also won the Emmy as a feather in its cap. But on the other hand, it may not want to do that because for some Academy members, that might make them feel, well, it's already been recognized. Let's recognize something else. Or there's a backlash to the idea that or you're trying to double dip. You're a TV doc or a film doc. You shouldn't be both. But I think that kind of dilemma is felt much more within the documentary branch of the Academy, meaning that it actually works out nicely for something like still if that happens, because I don't think too many voters, the documentary branch is only a small portion of the entire Academy. By the time the Emmys have been awarded, the Film Academy has now determined its nominees. And if still is one of them, then the number of people in the doc community who are, even if they all took an issue with that, there's still a, a lot more people voting who have nothing to do with the doc community. So I think that having a feather in your cap in that case would be an advantage probably. Would it make a huge difference? I guess it depends what else it's up against and also... I think a Michael J. Fox documentary being nominated and going to the full Academy of Film Academy would have a great chance whether or not it would have had any Emmy headwind because that's just something that people actually would want to watch in the Film Academy, unlike some of the projects that tend to get nominated by the documentary branch, which are a little too obscure or just not of interest to many people outside of the branch. So we spent this time hearing your predictions, but I would love to hear your personal favorite among either all of these or even a documentary that you saw that didn't receive a nomination. What's your personal favorite doc program or series this year? I did think that the Brooke Shields Pretty Baby docuseries was very well done. Makes you look back at her career and the way she was treated differently. I thought that was an excellent one. I thought Last Flight Home is is excellent as well. Ken, what's your favorite? I did like the elephants. I got to tell you. <laughs> I got to say the elephants. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say, you were not thrilled when you got that as your assignment, and but then you came out of it like really. <laughs> it's really. Have you seen it, Scott? Yeah. I was really moved by it. I, I love elephants now. The, the question well, is, do people I... love elephants as much as they love whales? That's really the question. <laughs> or right. octopi. I think we should note the biggest surprise for some people on nomination morning was the fact that Harry and Meghan was not nominated, not because it's the greatest thing ever, but because it was on Netflix every, and it got so much kind of promotion. And, you know, Liz Garbus is a serious documentary filmmaker. That was a bit surprising. But in terms of the ones that mm -hmm. I loved and was a bit surprised to not see there, or at least that I would have backed myself, I would have to say The Last Movie Stars 
Ethan Hawke's look at Paul Newman and Joanne Woodward. That surprised me that it didn't get more attention. That was certainly one. I also thought that Selena Gomez, to my own surprise, her documentary, which had also been in the running for the Oscars, My Mind and Me from Apple TV Plus, that was, I thought, pretty well done. To come back to Netflix, they have Full Swing, which do you guys know about this? I just saw the trailer for it and I was like, what the heck is this? I need to find out about it. It's one of these things like they've done with Formula One and there's a tennis one and and it's looking at for professional golfers just on and off the the golf course, what their lives are like. And it's, it just makes the sport come alive in a way that even if you thought like a lot of people thought, what do I care about Formula One racing? And then suddenly there's tons of people that are now mega fans because it brought it to life in a really compelling way. And so I do think it was never going to necessarily be a uh, Emmy favorite. It's not that kind of a thing, but it's just really well done. And all of their sports programming like this. How do you think this year stacks up against last year? I mean, it's hard to compare years, but would you say that the docs this year are as compelling, as interestingly made as last year? I'm going to give you a very honest answer, which is that when I'm in the middle of the year of a particular year, I pay super close attention to it. And then somehow it's gone from my mind after that season comes to an end. You know, it's hard for me to compare, but I will just say that I think docu-series remain some of the most compelling must-watch TV of this particular era. And whether or not it's slightly better or worse than last year, I'm happy that Even places like FX, to come back to what we were talking about earlier, places that aren't traditionally associated with documentary work, nonfiction work, that they're getting involved with it is great for doc lovers like us. I couldn't agree more. Let's hope that the support for documentary continues to grow and that we see new directors and new stories coming to light. It is interesting to see documentaries about famous people you thought you knew everything about and then to discover you really didn't, whether it was Pamela Anderson or even Michael J. Fox. It's also great to learn about people who are not at all famous and whose stories deserve to be told as well. And elephants. (laughs) Absolutely. Thanks for your insights as always. We didn't really do a scorecard for you last year, how your predictions last year, but I can just say you did very well. And I expect that when all is said and done, you'll have done just as well this year, if not better. Well, thank you. We'll see, hopefully. (laughs) All right, take care. Take care, Scott, thank you. Top Docs is a production of Willie Media. This episode was produced by Ken Jacobson and Mike Merrill and edited by Mike.